Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hey, before we start, remember, uh, Donald Trump is Jesus to followers of Jesus who've pretty much rejected the actual teachings of Jesus. Keep that in mind. It'll come in handy with today's guest. Hey, I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to episode eight of the Sanity Cast. It's a pleasure to have you with us. And I know you're all thinking quite a bit about Robert Mueller. I know you're frustrated at Doug Collins and Ratcliffe. Remember, their jobs are not to ask questions, but to provide clips for Fox News to air. So the audience will keep supporting a game show host who cut Rupert Murdoch's taxes. Uh, I know you're frustrated about Sensenbrenner attacking Mueller for having more integrity than Ken Starr. And Louis Gohmert, my favorite, who attacked Peter Strzok once again for cheating on his wife in the context of defending Donald Trump. I'm going after Bette Midler on this thing because she she compared uh, Congressman Chabot uh, to, to Ken Starr and talked about how he hounded Bill Clinton like Javert in Les Mis. Deeply offensive, Bette Midler, because Javert realized his sin and took his own life out of remorse. Ken Starr, uh, he went on to cover up sex assault at Baylor and then took money to help Jeffrey Epstein. So Javert, more ethical than Ken Starr. And Jim Jordan, oh man, Jim Jordan's so mad about this investigation. Russians assaulted our election and Jim Jordan wishes Mueller could just look the other way after an assault. Uh, those are things he doesn't wrestle with. And Matt Gates, wasn't he my favorite? Oh, Matt Gates, the radical left. Radical left, of course, are people who uh, think American citizens deserve the same access to health care as all our capitalist allies. Remember, Matt Gates invited a Holocaust denier who raised money for the Daily Stormer to the State of the Union address, and he has a problem with the veracity of the Steele dossier, no line of which has yet been disproven. Uh, so we're not going to focus too much on Mueller today. Uh, and I love the man. Mueller might be a lifelong Republican, but hey, hey, he can do human punching bag just like a Democrat. It was like watching John Kerry 2.0. But we're not going to go too deep into that today because I'm so excited to welcome today's guest. This is a gentleman who I've been honored to have on my SiriusXM show many times. Uh, the first time I met him was when I did a big show in D.C. for a TV special with Dick Gregory and, and, and with, with Louis Black and Tommy Smothers. And Reverend Barry Lynn was in the audience. He was then, uh, I think the title is Mac Daddy uh, of uh, Americans United for Separation of 
church and state. Uh, this is a gentleman who, uh, now he's the Mac Daddy Emeritus, I believe. Um, this is a guy who you know from many TV appearances. He is someone who is such a good Christian, such a good Christian, he gets accused of being atheist. He's an attorney, but his audience really cares more about his ecclesiastical matters. He is an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. This is a guy who has sought to vanquish what he calls the twin evils, uh, the fundamentalism, that insists on a literal reading of the Bible, except they really don't, and the originalism that interprets the Constitution only through the eyes of dead, slave-owning white dudes. Reverend Barry Lynn recently retired as head of Americans United for Separation of Church and State, but he is a prolific author, a wonderful media appear, uh, uh, figure, and anytime I can get him pinned down to talk about his life and his work, trust me, if you are not into Christianity, this guy will be the Christian for you. I'm thrilled to present today's interview with Reverend Barry Lynn. Reverend Barry Lynn, it is a real pleasure to welcome you to the Sanity Cast. It's very nice to be here. Thank you. You, you, you. In this case, on the podcast, your opening acts have been uh, David Crosby and Elaine Boozler, so you're in good company. That's terrific. <laughs> I've always been a fan of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Uh, very good. Yep. That's a separate band, too, by the way. It is a separate band. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame a third time. I always I, say I that. I certainly agree with that. Uh, Barry, you are, have been someone I've admired for a really long time. You, to me, aside from the fact that you actually... Uh, are a public Christian figure who knows what Christ actually talked about. Um, you're somebody who has always been willing to have the loudest self-proclaimed Christians attack him relentlessly, uh, and you don't punch back. You just use facts, history, the Bible, and the Constitution. What's a nice guy like you doing, having a life where you are debating Jerry Falwell dozens of times, where you are going into the lion's den uh, time and time again? How did you decide that this path of fighting for the least of us, often for very unpopular causes, was your spiritual calling? I had a very memorable event when I was 13 years old. I went to the James E. Straits shows, which were carnival shows. And at the time, and I hate this word, they had a freak show. Mm -hmm. And I went to the freak show. I bugged my parents, and they said, we don't want to go. But if you insist, here's the 50 cents to get in. And the 50 cents allowed me to get in, but not uh, see the hermaphrodite because I was too young, and I didn't have an additional quarter. But I went up on stage. I'd been a very shy Hermaphrodite, person. a little something extra. A little, a little something extra. Anyway, the, uh, I went in. I was very shy. But for some inexplicable reason, I volunteered when the magician, who was kind of the MC between the acts of so-called human oddities, when uh, he said he wanted a volunteer, and I, I was a volunteer, and I stood up on that stage, and I thought, this is fun. I don't have to be shy anymore. I can just be on stage. And I thought it was great. My mother, on the other hand, was a lovely woman. But she, she came in, she walked in after I'd been in there 45 minutes and sees me on the stage with a magician and with a woman uh, who was the top human oddity shown at the time, the so-called mule-faced woman. And I think she was shocked. What has happened to her son? And after I talked to her, I said, you know, I just, these people are so nice, these people who they describe as human oddities. And I, I said, what, why are they just on display here? It's like going to a zoo. And she said, you know, Barry, uh, 
but they should be thankful because who else would hire them? And it just didn't seem right, even at that young age. It seemed to me that the right answer is, no, we people who are not in the category of human oddities ought to be hiring these people to do anything. And from that moment on, I was attracted to helping people on the fringes of what America considers the society we live in. And this is what led me to support of Vietnam veterans with other than honorable discharges, and then to people in the porn industry, and to people in minority religious groups, to atheists, and to all the people I've represented in some way my entire life. Because I think, to get back to Jesus, Jesus tended to work with the marginalized. He was not a guy trying to run for public office so he could rule the empire. He was a man who said, I want to be with the least people, the people who are described by others as the least among us. That's right. I want to be with them, and I wanted to be with them. You know, you're, you're talking about uh, Matthew 25, which is the parable of the, the goats and the sheep, which um, I find I have to talk about constantly when I'm <laughs> debating right-wing religious figures, and, and even, you know, in doing stand-up sometimes, where Jesus says, uh, you know, when the time comes, the Son of Man which has always been a curious phrase to me. Sure. Jesus always says, hey, I'm just a guy, son of man. But he will gather the individuals and the nations, which is a key phrase there, and, and then says, uh, I'm going to say, you know, where were you when, when I was uh, an immigrant? Where were you when I was in jail? Where were you when I was sick? Where were you when I was, when I was uh, poor? And they, they say, well, we, we didn't know. We didn't know you were these things. <laughs> and he says, well, if you didn't do it for the least of my people, you didn't do it for me. And... When I, as a kid, that blew my mind because, you know, I don't mind the thought of a government based on Christian values. But when people say that, they don't mean the values of Christ. If you mean Matthew 25, a government, because Jesus gathers the individuals and the nations and says, take care of the poor, take care of the sick, be kind to immigrants, be kind to those in jail. That's essentially him giving his marching orders to his true followers, or am I reading that too liberally? No, you're reading it exactly correctly. And I think the one thing that the so-called religious right does that's so annoying is they say, well, maybe people should be nice to immigrants, but that doesn't mean that the government ought to do anything. Or, you know, the government's not supposed to be helping the poor. I mean, we'll give a little more money in the collection plate, and then that's what we mean. They insist on the fact that the government itself is dangerous, and it has no role whatsoever yeah. in making the culture, the society that Jesus talked about, work right. In other words, they say, well, we're Christian, but on the other hand, uh, they do want a Christian nation as they define it, usually involving references to just about everything that Jesus never talked about. You know, mm -hmm. most people don't know, you know, but most people don't know. Jesus didn't talk about abortion. Jesus didn't talk about gay marriage. Jesus didn't talk about anything, but he talked a lot about immigrants. He talked about the others. He talked about the people that needed to be protected, not just by average citizens, but I think by government as well. So the big fallacy is those people, if they're poor, they probably deserve it. And two, whatever the cause is, government should not be helping them. We should, we're not, but we shouldn't. 
I hear expect this, government to do that. I hear this all the time when I debate these folks. And I think a lot of our listeners have relatives or coworkers or neighbors or friends or high school people on Facebook like this. And, you know, what I always hear back is, well, you know, Jesus said that uh, we should help the poor. He didn't say the government should pick our pockets and do it. And I'm like, well, first off, Jesus lived under imperial occupation, not representative democracy. Right. So we're the government. So if you're a Christian, you get to vote for Jesus. But that leads to my second point, which is I, I find these people just sort of think that, um, yeah, they believe in, in, in this Bible, but not when they're in the voting booth. <laughs> when you go in the voting booth, hey, I'm going to vote to make the rich richer, fuck the poor, uh, forget the marginalized. Uh, I'm going to nuke Iran. Yeah, let's do that. Um, let's let's go for making life harder for gay people. Let's go for making, uh, you know, imprisoning women uh, who've had abortions. Let's criminalize it. And time and time again, they say they're Christian. But when they go in the voting booth, they seem to think, well, you know what? I gave 10 bucks at church. So now I can go against <laughs> Jesus while I'm standing in this little room. And it, it, it's it's made me crazy my whole life because yeah. it, it seems like the only way to be a conservative Christian is to be a radical liberal revolutionary, if you go by what Jesus was. He was a very radical person. He transformed this part of the world. You know, there were a lot of people who were seen as prophets at that time, little sects that they were starting, and they, most of them died out. That's we right. barely know about any of them. But Jesus somehow had this transformational experience where he was able to take the culture, the Jewish culture, and to some extent the government who was occupying and change it dramatically. People really resonated to this message, and I think they resonated to it because it was a a message of hope, and it was a message of human decency toward all people. He was the person who said, after there was an effort to stone a prostitute, let who, he, who is without sin cast the first stone. And if you say that to people, they go, wait a minute. Uh, but he, he said something else after that. He said, and sin no more, as if there's what, you get one chance, you get one sin forgiven, right. and then the next time you're on your own. That wasn't the point. That was not the point. You make a good point. And, and I want to say to our uh, atheist and non-believer agnostic friends, I always like to say, like, you don't need to actually believe any of this stuff as literal fact or the divinity of Jesus or even that he ever existed. Um, this is the book that has been agreed on. And this is the book that the Jeff Sessionses and Mike Pence's of the world are claiming they represent. So you don't need to believe in any of this stuff to be able to use it against the Philistines and the Pharisees. But he stopped an execution. Yeah. And he said only sinless people should be allowed to kill sinners. And I mean, didn't he overturn eye for an eye in Sermon on the Mount? Like he Absolutely. never mentioned abortion, which existed back then. Of course it did. But he was very definitely against killing the sinner. He certainly was. I think that the selective use of scripture, as you mentioned, I mean, I have a sermon I do about the, the twin evils, the idea that you can use literally what's in the Bible uh, to, to make public policy. You shouldn't use the Bible and make public policy. You know, I used to work for the ACLU, yeah. and uh, I used to do panels with them and uh, MC events, and I, I'm a huge death penalty opponent. And I remember doing a panel for them at one of their national conventions where I said, here's the hypothetical. You're in a community, you're in a state 
They wanna, they're thinking of abolishing the death penalty, but the only argument they're using to justify that is quoting the text we've just been talking about. Right. Do you say, well, that's okay, we'll get rid of the death penalty by any means possible, or do you say, for a second at least, wait a minute, we're not supposed to be basing even the policies we want just on the scriptures of one religion. And it, it confuses people. I once said, when before Alan Dershowitz became very strange, I once <laughs> said that to him when I was interviewing him, and uh, he said, uh, that's a good question. I think I'll put it on my constitutional law final exam. <laughs> but it is a good question, and I think the answer is you can't. You cannot, even for a good purpose, use any holy scripture as the sole basis for changing the policy. If it's not good when they misuse scriptures about abortion, which there aren't any, and it's probably no good if that's the sole basis. And being a constitutional lawyer, uh, the Supreme Court's actually said you can't change the law simply on the basis of scriptural citations. I actually said that. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, you, you, I mean, you have spent your whole career arguing for the separation of church and state. Yep. And you're a minister, yep. and you're a lawyer. Yep. So something to offend everyone, really. Just Absolutely. walk in the room. Absolutely. They're not going to trust you. No. Um, so you know, I, I come to think, you know, I was once introduced at an anti-war rally, and the, the MC said, the next guest is uh, Barry Lynn. He's going to be speaking to us. Uh, he is an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. And there are a couple of people in the audience that booed. And sure. they said... And he's also a lawyer, and, and then of course everybody. <laughs> so that was, hey Colbert, uh, I, I was on once with him, and uh, he asked me if I had gotten my ordination uh, through a pop-up ad on the internet, which is not true because I went to school, mm -hmm. I studied, and uh, I take it seriously, and I do take it seriously. And as Louis Gomert once said to me at a hearing, he said, so, Mr. Lin, why do you spend so much time trying to defend the Constitution instead of trying to bring people to Christ? And I didn't quite know what he was talking about, but maybe that I had been recently at an American Atheist Convention, and I said, well, I said, Congressman, I never refute or deny my Christian faith, and I was recently at an American Atheist Convention, if that's what you're referring to. And I said, uh, first thing I said was, you're atheists, I am a theist, I'm not changing my mind. And the first guy to ask a question was, it said, uh, uh, are you, so you didn't change your mind, you're still a theist. I think you'd be the only person, I as an atheist would not want to transform into an atheist. I like what you believe. Nice. He's That's a true good. atheist. That's yeah. a true atheist. I mean, you know, the main tenet of all the world's great religions, including atheism, is uh, don't be a dick. Exactly. Be decent to people. And that is the centerpiece. And I, I, I deeply love what atheists believe, except we just have this dispute. Yeah. about the existence of God. And not all atheists but, are like anti-religious hecklers on the sidelines. No, Some atheists not. are really menschig and get along with everybody. Absolutely are. And it was, um, and so John Shelby Spong and some of these great, great people have written tremendous uh, works. And I recommend, I actually do recommend to uh, 
people who are, think they're atheists or they're agnostic, read some of John Shelby Spong's books. Read a book by uh, uh, Phil Madeira, who was, uh, he's still in, Mary, uh, he's still in Emmy Lou Harris's band, and he's a great singer and songwriter. And he has a book called God on the Rocks, and it's about his spiritual journey. And it's a wonderful book. And he, I, he once told me he's very comfortable with the way I talk about religion. But it, it is a struggle. You have to struggle. You have to believe, and then you have to be willing to have those beliefs altered and you have to think clearly. And some, most atheists, I think, do. Yeah. Some atheists go, well, you know, we, we reject the bearded guy in the sky. Well, I think most theologians, with the exception of perhaps Pat Robertson and the late Jerry Falwell, uh -huh. uh, they may still view that oh. as true. Yeah. I, it, I think most theologians have passed that image off or buried it a long time ago. Yeah, I think the he is said more out of <laughs> convenience than the fact that we really care about believing God has a penis <laughs> that he never uses, but he has it. He could use it if he wanted he could to. Use it. Oh, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. <laughs> um, Barry, I've always said, uh, uh, and tell me if you disagree, but that um, to me, based on my you know facile understanding, separation of church and state is technically the conservative point of view. Our founding fathers were, were deists. They were Enlightenment thinker-influenced, and they weren't anti-religion at all, Jefferson maybe, but maybe. They, they had seen the destructive power of uh, theocratic states, and it was very important to them to preserve religion and the state by keeping them separate. And since they're the ones who drew it up, you know, when I hear someone say, oh, you, 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 they, they, they've cast God out of our schools. I'm like, who, James Madison? <laughs> is that true? Is it fair to say that it's the it conservative is. point of view is keeping them separate? I think it is the conservative point of view. And ironically, it used to be even the view of uh, the Baptist church. I mean, when Roe versus Wade came down, they, they have a kind of an entity in the Southern Baptist Convention that works on public issues. And the guy who ran it at the time was asked about Roe versus Wade. And he said, we thought it was a good decision because he said, it makes this a moral question. And then people, including all of our Baptists, can make up their own mind what to do. Now that's, that's a brilliant statement, but they, they threw him out of the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. And uh, I got to know him after that fact. But, but that's what conservative religious groups used to do. And in fact, even in the Catholic Church, this idea that from the beginning of the church, the church fathers were always against abortion, that's totally nonsensical. They were not. They had various positions on the issue, and they articulated those issues, and then eventually the church decides, well, we ought to, we ought to be again it. My mom and dad, you know, were not um, fans of abortion. My mom, though, as a nurse, remembered emergency rooms before Roe v. Wade. And, and my parents, they thought abortion was done way too often. Uh, too often they felt it was done as a birth control mechanism, as a lot mm -hmm. of older folks do. But they would never vote for a politician who wanted to criminalize it. And it, it's always amazed me that, you know, this is what passes for Christianity now. You can throw out all the teachings of Jesus as long as you're anti-abortionist. And I don't got to tell you, the Bible is full of God um, killing children. Of course. Hey, we got Passover for a reason, guys. Yeah. Uh, demanding <laughs> the murder of children, demanding infants be, be killed, demanding fetuses be ripped from 
their mother's wombs. This is all there. The Bible itself says that life doesn't begin until first breath. God kind of gives Moses gruesome abortion tips if your wife is pregnant by another man in Book of Numbers. And it sort of seems like abortion has become the magic Harry Potter spell. Abortion Patronus to make people, to make Christians reject everything Jesus talked about in favor of something that Jesus never talked about. I think the church, as well as politics, uh, for a long time ignored the abortion question, but abortions were going on. My mother, when she was nearly dead, she was in her 80s, we were driving somewhere and she said, Barry, I want to tell you a story, and I've never told this before, but she said, I I want to tell you this. She said, "I, I, I was once escorted out of town by the police. I said, Mom, that's a great story. I'd like to hear more. And she said, well, here's what happened. Uh, My girlfriend and my girlfriend's mother and I were thrown out of a little coal mining town in northeast Pennsylvania and told never to come back. We were driven to the edge of town and told never to come back. I said, well, what did you done? And she said, well, you know, we we were hanging on door handles, leaflets, about birth control. <laughs> I mean, we don't want to go back to that. My father, who was, I think, a, a very nice man, um, but a, a kind of moderate Republican, he stopped voting for Republicans when they got into the abortion question. I asked him once why, and he said, because abortion, that's a religious matter. That is not a political issue. Those, that's what the Republican Party used to be. Yeah. Le- live and let live. Make your own mind up about these intimate moral things. And Jerry Falwell, by the way, didn't start the moral majority on the issue of abortion. He, he, was, he set up the moral majority in order to um, preserve private religious schools that could be racially discriminatory. And then when that had a certain bead and he got into the moral majority, and then he said, we got to find another hot issue. And that's when he went to Roman Catholic hierarchy leaders to get into the abortion. And then he found common ground with most of the uh, hierarchy of the Catholic Church at the time. And that's when he went full-blown into it. But it's, let's have race discrimination in private schools, mm. and let's have stop abortion. And then he was off to the races. And as you mentioned, I mean, I think I debated him a hundred times. Is that how it happened? I mean, what, from what I've read, when Roe v. Wade was handed down, it wasn't that controversial. It, it didn't wasn't. tear us apart at all. And the dissenting votes, I believe, were one Democratic judge and one Republican That's judge. That's correct. No, this was not a big issue. As I said, even the Southern Baptist Convention thought it was the right decision. It gives moral, uh, it gives moral gravity to making the decision yourself and doesn't impose any religious belief on others. As opposed to say China, where it's mandatory. Exactly. And it's mandatory. um, It's not working out too well over there. And I don't know of any pro-choice group in America that supports the China policy. None. No, it would be choice. Of course, it's not choice. The essence of it is you make up your mind and you do or you don't do whatever it takes to have a child. Does it make you sad that this thing that, again, and I always, when I say this, people say, oh, so you think Jesus was in favor of killing babies. (laughs) I've never said Jesus would have supported abortion. I don't think he would have supported putting women and doctors in prison for it. But does it make you sad that this 
has become synonymous with Christianity and the stuff that Jesus actually talked about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 25, that those things are cast aside. No, I, it makes me beyond sad. Um, you know, I was once on, in Grenada after the uh, liberation effort there because my wife was giving a, a lecture at the medical school in Grenada, which became the excuse for Reagan to go and invade the country. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was invited to a, a big dinner and... And I was kind of treated like a pariah. It said my name tag said Reverend Barry Lynn. And then the president of the medical school happened to be one Peter Bourne. Peter Bourne was uh, in act, very active in Democratic Party politics, was in the Carter administration. So he stands up and says, when I invited uh, Joanne here, I had no idea we were going to get a twofer because Barry is here. And Barry Lynn, I love watching him eviscerate these right-wing characters on national television. And then everybody wanted to talk to me. I wasn't a pariah anymore. I was, but, but this instinctive, and I, a lot of progressive ministers and priests and uh, tell me the same story um, people just assume you're kind of a nut if you are a religious person yeah. you talk about God they go hey, you're crazy and, and you're talking it's all to my because of the infection it, yeah. it's the infection of the religious right and it's non-Christian non-constitutionally valid positions that make people like me and John Shelby Spong and others feel like pariahs. I mean, my childhood, I was, you know, the only kid who went to church all the time, yep. every holy day, yep. grace before dinner every night. And I was also the only kid whose dad voted against Reagan and <laughs> voted, for, you know, for progressive candidates. And I thought I was crazy because there was nobody like me. And as I got older, I realized, no, it's actually really kind of consistent. And one of the things I admire is that you have done so much work to explain how school-sponsored prayer, and this was a big part of your job at Americans United, um, is bad for both America and for Christianity. It it just sort of seems like people are, are, I don't even call them Christians, I call them evangelical supremacists, Mm -hmm. because they don't care about what Christ actually stood for, they care about their club is on top. Is that what's been behind so much of this forcing kids to say Christian-centered prayers in schools? Absolutely, and it's so hypocritical because when you talk about um, prayer in schools, people go, well, I'm sure we could just write a generic prayer. And then I'm thinking, well, theologically speaking, what, what does that even mean? And I think it would mean you'd say, dear, and then go immediately to amen, because any content in the middle is going to tick people off, and it's going to be a profound difference of theological opinion. And when people say, well, you know, well, maybe we could just rotate the prayers. You know, there could be a Christian prayer one day, and then there would be uh, a Jewish prayer and then some other time, and then... And, and, uh, but you know it's going to be a predominantly Christian in almost every community in the United States. going to be almost always Christian and prayer. And people who hate Christ- the government, they want the government to teach your kids religion? And possibly to write the prayers. Uh, but the, um, the other thing about a prayer in school, you know, nobody ever barred uh, someone from saying grace over cookies and milk. When, when my daughter was very young, she was just in first grade, she came home one day, and she says over dinner, because we always pray at dinner, and 
she says, uh, you know, when I prayed in school today, and I thought, my God, a homegrown constitutional crisis. And I said, who, who did you, uh, who told you to pray? What, was it the teacher? No. And I said, well, was it like the cafeteria lady? Did she say, now's the time to pray? And she said, no. I said, well, well then, why did you pray? And she said, to thank God for the food. <laughs> I mean, that's a perfect answer. Yeah. Nobody told her this is what she does at home. Nobody stopped her, and she did it for the right reason. Well, that's faith. That's faith. Not obligation. Not obligation. If we think that you can form a religious government, if we think that you can turn America into a Christian nation on the basis of compelling people when they're in the sixth grade or the 10th grade to say a prayer either selected by somebody or written by the government, which arguably even worse, we are in deep trouble. And I'll tell you, there really is a problem in the churches today. I mean, the attendance is way down. Yeah. The, and, and it's down when I find it somewhat appalling that so many millennials are still uh, going to these ultra-conservative churches. Um, but so many millennials don't seem to remember anything about the pre-Roe yeah. world. They don't remember about, you know, if you were a doctor and you said, as your mother was a nurse, I mean, the stories that are told by patients from the 40s and 50s, everybody knew someone in their own family or one of their neighbors who had died from an illegal abortion. And it is absolutely sickening to think that we're going to go back to that and again. again. And, and these are the people who are voting against what Jesus talked about. They're voting against, I mean, Donald Trump has given a massive tax cut to rich people, and yep. this week we find out they're trying to cut food stamps. Of course. They're voting to not to help the poor, not to help the sick. They literally tried to throw 30 million Americans off health care. They are not voting for the immigrants in our midst. And that's something both Old and New Testament agree on of time course. and time again. You were strangers in the land yep. of Egypt. Uh, you know, it, it just sort of seems like this is a, a movement that's about Christian or evangelical supremacy dominating. I mean, look at one of the issues that you devoted your whole career on, um, creationism in public schools. I always was baffled by that when I was a kid, Reverend Barry, because creationism, believing in a talking snake, has nothing to do with what Jesus talked about. But these are folks who want to say, okay, love your enemies was just Jesus being metaphor, <laughs> metaphorical and shit, but, but talking snake, that's literal fact. And it's like your, your Christ has nothing to do with believing in a talking snake and that women have monthly menstruation and painful childbirth because they listened to a snake. That's literally what you had to fight. And to me, it's not even a question of keeping Christianity out of the schools because I don't think it's Christianity. Of course it's not. This evolution battle is another thing that makes me very sad because even though the Supreme Court has rejected every kind of phony effort to bring so-called creation science, which of course is a religious philosophy, there's nothing scientific about it, into public schools, it's always rejected by the Supreme Court. But it continues to make teachers of biology incredibly fearful because they don't want to get into the middle of a squabble that might cost them 
their reputation in the community. I spoke to the American Association of Biology Teachers once, their big convention. It's a place set up for like 500 seats. There were 13 people there. I, afterwards, I said, why aren't people here? I said, all I'm doing is talking about the law. And they said, because we have people from our school district here. We don't want to, them to see us coming to this seminar. They were that frightened. And if you look at the statistics, one-third of high school biology teachers admit that they spend no time or almost no time discussing evolution. No time discussing evolution. That doesn't mean they talk about creationism. They just don't talk about it at all. So this, this centerpiece of science throughout the world of evolution is simply ignored by science teachers in a huge number of high schools. Uh, the creationists, of course, teach that the uh, Earth is 6,000 years old. Humans and dinosaurs lived at the same time. There's an entire museum uh, set up in Kentucky, a creation museum, and the creation museum is, does nothing but promote this nonsensical, non-scientific view. They got into some trouble uh, back a few years ago when it was discovered by some one visitor that Adam, who was the guy portraying Adam in the video, <laughs> when you enter, was actually a, a gay a porn star. Now, although that's, that's kind of funny, but the, I, I worry, what do you, if you're that visitor who notices this, how do you go to the guy who runs the Creation Museum and say, um, I have something to say. I, I, I think that the guy playing Adam has been in a lot of gay porn movies. Listen, I was watching gay porn again <laughs> gay to remind porn. myself how much I hate it. I, I do this every night yeah, to remind myself exactly. how bad it is. Huh. And uh, yeah, someone looked familiar to me. I recognized yep. the back of his head first. And uh, <laughs> I mean, and yeah, I mean, look, I, I, to be honest, I mean, I, it, it, for most of these folks, watching pornography still is a sin. It's just sleeping with the actresses that are in it. That's not a sin. <laughs> but that, that's probably an apocryphal. You know, there's, there are books that were left out of the Bible. People don't like to talk about mm -hmm. that, but uh, it's there. I, I was talking about... Thank you, about, King James. Yeah, thank you. Uh, people were... Uh, I had a debate about evolution. I used to do a lot of those Bill Buckley specials, those two-hour unedited specials, where you actually had to know something. I mean, you really had to... Because you were being cross-examined, and Buckley was a very smart conservative. And uh, so we did one on evolution. It was at a fairly conservative college. And uh, so finally, I, I was the last guy to speak. And I pointed to one of the other people who had been, uh, who was deeply religious. And I said, you know, my favorite gospel is the Gospel of John. And I said, as you know, the Gospel of John begins with the phrase, and in the beginning was the word. I said, I like to think that that word was evolve. I just said that. I got so much hate mail for misinterpreting the Bible. I just thought it was a good way to end the debate. <laughs> Maybe they were Beatle fans. Have you heard? The word is love. <laughs> the ultimate irony of all of this is, like, you know, you can read the Bible and, and it's completely consistent with Darwin. I mean, if you it read is. it as poetry, I don't think the guys who wrote Genesis intended it to be taken as literal fact. No. And ultimately... Jesus's basic message can be condensed to humanity to be evolve. <laughs> 
Hey, so that was part one of my conversation with the Reverend Barry Lynn, former uh, executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. And he's brilliant. He's so insightful and compassionate. And he's the guy I want to bring to every family gathering to uh, debate what's really in the Bible with, you know, that cousin or that uncle or whatever that is for you. Um, And Barry was so great. I asked him to stick around because I wanted to talk to him about what do we do when we have to work with or live with or love uh, Trump supporters who are over the edge and not coming back and deep in the bubble? So I hope you'll tune in for part two. We also talk about um, the atrocity of people supporting family detention, uh, I'm sorry, family separation and these concentration camps and not processing people and keeping them there for months while stealing children and calling oneself Christian. It's great. Send me an email as well. Uh, I'm here in New York City with Fix the Cat, who likes to have cameos uh, in this show. And um, I'm at uh, uh, johnfuglesang.com right there. And uh, drop me a line, request some music, or uh, give us your thoughts, your comments, your threats, your promises of glory, or your questions. Um, Likewise, go to the online store at johnfuglesang.com. We have great resistance swag and all manner of whimsy. 100% made America, unlike Donald Trump and Ivanka's merch, and shipping is free. We had some backlogged orders. We got a lot of orders, and so I'm very sorry some of the new stickers got held up. Um, And I want to apologize for everybody who wrote frustrated that they were waiting uh, for more than a week for their orders. We are really trying to use small mom and pop businesses uh, on this um, online store. And so we are not using Chinese manufacturers and we are not using big, huge uh, orgs yet. We may put stuff up on Amazon soon, but it's still kind of slow. We get backlogged. So I do apologize. We'll make it right. Playlist for the week. Always like to throw in a few things that uh, for Inspiration Nation that I think will uh, help you get off a ledge if you are losing your damn mind. Um, Bruce Springsteen's Wrecking Ball album, the whole thing. It's very progressive. Uh, it's very political. It's um, really his album he'd made for Obama's 2012 uh, re-election campaign. And the song itself, Wrecking Ball, is great. Springsteen tries a lot of different sounds. The E Street Band sounds great. Uh, I think it's one of his more underrated records. Um, not to be confused with Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball. She's cool, too too, but this is a bit different. The Black Keys El Camino album, when you just need some fun rock and roll, trust me, it's been out for what, six, seven years? It sounds better than ever. Thank God for the Black Keys. Two guys making all these sounds. El Camino is pure, joyful rock and roll that makes you dance around the room. Also, um, Sam Cooke and the Soul Stirrers. I love Sam Cooke. He might be the best singer of all time. But I really love his old gospel stuff. And here's just one track to try. Uh, Jesus Gave Me Water. And it's done a cappella. It's beautiful. And it is just a great pick-me-up song. If you're really depressed, if you are really depressed and you're trying to crawl out of it, if you are just so over what the fuck fatigue... I don't usually recommend this song. It's a bit too on the nose. I mean, they used it in, in the Creed soundtrack, but... The fire uh, with uh, the, this fire with by the roots with John Legend again. That's if you're really low and really need something to pull you out of a bucket. And finally, here's a good movie you probably didn't see when John Kerry became the nominee in 2004. And I'm going to talk about 2004 a lot, I'm afraid, because I'm starting to be worried that we are mirroring exactly what happened that year in our election process. But um, I, like many people, had issues with John Kerry uh, until I saw this film going upriver. It's a documentary about his Vietnam experience and what he really did there. It's kind of interesting now that it's not a campaign document, but just a film that can exist on its own about a really privileged rich kid who goes to Vietnam, comes back, 
and decides to launch his political career by growing his hair out and protesting the war. It will make you respect John Kerry more than ever, and it will really make you understand why he wanted to be one of the people who made the Iran nuclear deal happen, and why maybe he was one of the only people who could make it happen. Going upriver. Um, ask a Trump defender. At the end of every podcast, we give you a few questions to ask the Trump-loving person in your life. These are simple questions. Write them down or go to the Ask a Trump Defender hashtag on the Twitter or the Facebook, uh, and then lay these on your coworker. Keep the computer screen open if you have to, or write them down here. But try these out. Number one, are you always okay with criminal interference in American elections, or just when it benefits campaigns you like? Are you always okay with it? Number two, Donald Trump says that under Article 2 of the Constitution, quote, I have the right to do whatever I want as president. Do you agree that presidents have a right to do anything they want? If that's true, did Barack Obama also have that right? Question number three, ask a Trump defender. Do you believe Donald Trump never asked the FBI director to ease up on the investigation of the NSA? who was, by the way, a lying criminal taking money from another country. Number four, Donald Trump lied to the American people that he would release his tax returns. He lied about it in 2011, 2014, 2015, and 2016. Now he's suing the New York Attorney General and Congress so America can't find out where he gets his money from and who he gets his money from. Why are people wrong to be upset at this? That's a good one. Hey, uh, it might be a little too late, but I'm going to be doing a very intimate show up in uh, Beacon, New York at Dogwood Club on Thursday, the 25th of July. So come be intimate with me if you're around. Um, that's going to be a, a really, really fun show. And then here's a big one, D.C. area, uh, Annapolis, Maryland. I am headlining at the Ram's Head, which is a great, awesome music venue. Amy Mann is playing there. I think I'm following like Gordon Lightfoot the next night. A lot of cool bands, even Brett Michaels of Poison, who has sold it out. I want to sell it out, too, because why should Brett Michaels be the only one? So come and collude with me on the 2nd of February, 2nd of February. What the hell am I doing? We had two blackouts in New York, and I've lost my mind. 2nd of August. Uh, that's Friday. 2nd of August. Come on down. Go to the Ram's Head uh, uh, website or go to my website at johnfugelsang.com and get tickets. Trump supporters, get first hugs, and I'll be hanging out afterwards and, uh, and talking to people and taking pictures and signing merch or, or signing people and taking merch, whatever you need. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Again, the next episode will have more of the Reverend Barry Lynn. Don't miss it. Uh, listen to my show on Sirius XM, Insight, Channel 121. I'm on every day or hear it on demand or on the app. Thank you, guys. And thanks to everyone at the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Podcast Network, especially the heroic Chris Lavoie. Um, and remember, friends, if you're willing to overlook rules of common decency, uh, lies, rules of marital fidelity, tax laws, employment of undocumented workers, oversight of any kind, if you're willing to turn a blind eye to the press not being able to hold politicians accountable for crimes, to literally cutting taxes for billionaires while trying to cut health care and food stamps, if you're willing to overlook ethics rules and the emoluments clause and any law Trump doesn't like, if you have no problem with turning a blind eye to the murder of journalists just so you can sell weapons to the people who killed that journalist, if you have no problem with being outplayed by Kim Jong-un, you're not a Trump loyalist. You're a wife on cops.
He didn't mean to shatter institutional norms, officer. He's a good president. Don't take him away. I know he lied about Obama not being born here, and he lied about not having business dealings in Russia during the 2016 campaign, and he lied about Michael Cohen paying Stormy Daniels, and he lied about Mexico paying for the wall, and all along it's me who's going to pay for the wall, but it's my fault. I made him do it. Blame me. I'm clumsy. Thank you, guys. See you next week. Peace. If you enjoyed that podcast, I hope you'll check out my podcast. I want to be your Muslim friend with me, Dean Obidala, because I want to be your MBFF each week. I'm going to make you laugh while making you smarter right here on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network.